Good morning, everyone. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And what a privilege it is to open up our, the Bible and really to rejoice in Christ's resurrection and in our new birth in Christ. We're believers. And isn't it good to gather together to, to celebrate gospel truth? Uh, today, we're going to be looking at Romans 6, verses 1 through 14, and how we are uh, dead to sin and alive to God. Last week, I encouraged you to pray and to think about and to search the scriptures regarding the question, how can I be dead to sin if I still struggle with it all the time? And I hope today, as we go through this passage, you will be built up and encouraged as you see that in Christ, we have been set free from sin so that we can freely serve God. We have been set free from sin so that we can freely serve God. So if you're able, I want to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to read Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. This is the word of God for the people of God, for the glory of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word today, that we would have joy and freedom in our new life in Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you're not a believer in Jesus, we are really glad you are here. And we're going to tell you the gospel. We're going to share the gospel with you that God is holy and we are sinful. And Jesus died in our place at the cross and he was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day. That all who place their faith in Christ are saved. They are 
forgiven. They are kept by God for eternity. That's a very simple version. But today what we're seeing is that those in Christ have been set free from sin so that they can serve God freely. But we still deal with that question of, well, if I'm dead to sin, why do I struggle with sin so much? So that's what we're going to look at today. God wants us to understand salvation. God doesn't want us to get off track, doesn't want us to to believe things that aren't true. And for a believer, if you're in Christ, you're no longer under condemnation for your sin. You are under justification. And it is not immediate perfection. It is a process of sanctification that God puts you into. You are immediately justified, but there's this process of making you more like Christ. And so we get to see this in this passage today, a lot about it. And there are three key words in this passage I want to point out to you that will help connect the dots. The first word is united. The second word is consider. And the third word is present. And those uh, really uh, the link this passage together and the passage unfolds around these words. First thing we're going to see in verses 1 through 5 is that we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. We saw that a bit on Easter. We're going to look at it deeply today. Second thing we're going to see in verses 6 through 11 is that we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And we're going to see what does that mean to consider yourself that way. And the third thing we'll see is in verses 12 through 14 that we must present ourselves to God. And we're going to Look at that. What does that mean to present yourself to God? I want you to notice something right off the bat. When I read a few minutes ago these 14 verses, I want you to notice something that instruction comes before exhortation. That verses 1 through 11 is instruction. Verses 12 through 14 contain exhortation. That verses 1 through 11 are indicatives what God has done for those in Christ. Verses 12 through 14 contain imperatives, how we are to respond. So the indicatives come first, what we have in Christ, what God has done, and imperatives follow after, calls for our response. And the healthiest thing to do as you're going through the Bible is to really look at the indicatives and what has God done, because that's the foundation upon which uh, is built how we are to respond. And so let's look at this. We're gonna, I want you to look first with me at, at verses 1 through 5. This idea of being united with Christ. Verse 1 begins, what? Pretty much like, what? <laughs> Do we continue to sin so that grace may increase? What Paul is doing is uh, anticipating those who are going to disagree with the gospel and will call the gospel immoral. That they're going to say, oh, it encourages people to sin. And they're going to accuse God of saying, hey, you're under grace. Go and sin as much as you feel like it, as much as you please. And Paul's answer is so strong. It is so emphatic. Verse 2, no, okay, no. And he says this, how can we who died to sin still live in it? That's the question. So we need to see what does it mean that we died to sin? I think what we need to ask is, what does it not mean first? What does it not mean? 
Well, it, it doesn't mean I can sin whenever I want. It's not lawlessness. It was known as antinomianism. It's what Jude, Jude 4 talks about. Ungodly people who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that. 1 John 3.8 actually says, whoever makes a practice of sinning. Now, if you're a believer here today, you know you still sin. This is talking about the person who says, I'm going to sin as much as I jolly well please and no one can stop me because I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And here's what this says. These are strong words. Brace yourself, okay? 1 John 3.8, whoever makes a practice of sinning, so your life is all about whatever I want to do, I'm going to do, even though I profess to know Christ, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So you don't belong to Christ. And it says that the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then it says, and the reason that Jesus appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. So you don't want to go around celebrating the works of the devil because Jesus destroyed them at the cross. So it doesn't mean I can sin whenever I want. Secondly, it also doesn't mean, well, I better not sin because if I sin, I'm going to lose my salvation. The idea is that you need to you know, get clear is that you not sinning does not secure your salvation. Jesus secured your salvation at the cross. We call it the finished work of Christ. And so you don't want to go into legalism. Okay, This is not I can be perfect. And a third thing, it doesn't mean I am now sinless and I will never sin again. It's not Joyce, I am not a sinner anymore, Meyer. You died to sin. That's what she says. She says, I'm not a sinner anymore. That's wrong. You died to sin. What does that mean? Well, it's a very key thing in this passage. Look at the word sin. You notice that it is singular. Okay, it is singular. It doesn't say died to sins. So you're a believer and you're still sinning because you haven't died to all of your sins. You, you're still sinning at times, right? Some, some more than others, right? Okay. Uh, but sin here, which says you died to sin. Sin here is a power that enslaves. It's, it's the, the whole idea of sin. So you died to that power when you came to faith in Christ. So we're not talking about being dead to the daily struggle with sin. Because you know you're not. In fact, that's what drives people to think, well, I guess I lost my salvation because I still sin. That's why it drives some other people to say, I don't sin anymore. What I'm doing, that's not sin. Okay? You died to that power that enslaves, and it's not your daily struggle with sin. This is referring to a one-time event completed in the past when you died to sin. It's justification. It's justifications when you were declared right with God. And if you, if you go, well, wait, what's justification all about? Well, if you've been at grace, uh, chapters 3, 4, and 5 of Romans talk all about it. Okay? Justification, declared right with God. So when you, it says that you died to sin, what it means is you are no longer under sin's power as a believer. So you were formerly dead in sin. Now you are dead to sin, but you still sin. But at, a, at one time in the past, there was an event that happened in your life where you were passive and it was accomplished for you and it's your justification. 
Where you were freed from sin's power, you were also freed from sin's penalty at that point, but you were not freed from sin's presence. So that's why Paul asks this question. How can someone who died to it still live in it? That's key. Live in it. What that means is that's the direction of a person's life who is literally controlled by sin. It's just all about sin. Well, Paul's saying, look, you've died and you rose with Christ spiritually. And and he died in your place. So it is inconceivable that you would go through your life purposefully sinning and trampling on the cross and trampling on God's grace. He goes on in verse three and says, don't you know? And I love this. You're gonna see in this passage that he will either say, don't you know, or you know. Isn't it great to know the truth? Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Do you not know, he says, that all of us have been baptized, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. If you were here last week, you, you got to witness some beautiful testimonies and believer's baptism, which is what the Bible teaches, right? The believer's baptism. And what we saw here is that that's not what this baptism is. Being baptized into Christ Jesus, and it explains this in verse four, we were buried with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It is your new life in Christ. You are united with him from the moment you believed, from the moment of conversion. You were baptized into Christ, fully immersed in him. His work reckoned to you, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection reckoned to you. And Paul says in verse 5, if, or literally since we have been united, last week we talked about what it means to be united with Christ, to be put together with, literally to be fused into Christ. Uh, Another way to put it is planted or grafted. My grandfather used to graft plants and make these beautiful flowers and stuff, and you've been grafted with Christ in a death like his, well, you're certainly going to be united with him in a resurrection like his. You're going to have a new life. Not just going to wait till heaven, but you're going to have a new life now too. You're going to walk in newness of life. You're going to live in newness of life because the power of Christ's resurrection is yours due to your union with him. This is why Paul could say in Philippians 3, verse 8, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing value, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he goes on to say, I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to have the fellowship, the sharing in his sufferings. And I want to become like him in his death. We're united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Death and new life. And so moving to the second part, we we, we see this, we're united. But now we have to look at that word consider. What does that mean? Because the second point is we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. This idea is, is that you need to think correctly about your justification. That it's a positional thing, and it's the indicative. It's what God did. So look with me at verses 6 through 11. We'll start at verse 6. 
he says, we know. There it is. There he is. He's saying, we know. So we know something. We know the truth. Our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that, there's the purpose, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. You're like, well, I'm still sinning. It's not been brought to nothing yet. <laughs> uh, but then it says, that, and it clarifies this, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So the first part of this chapter is all about being alive to God, uh, dead to sin. When we get into the second part of the chapter, verses 15 to 23, it's all about being slaves to God and no longer being slaves to sin. And it kind of says the same things, but in, with those, those uh, illustrations. But it says here that, that our old self was crucified. Our old man, okay? Now, there are some older man Older men present here today, some that are older than me. I'm older than many of you. Uh, some of you are older than me. Uh, what, what this is talking about is not just old men, okay? This is old men, uh, this is the old man. There's men, women, boys, and girls here, and, and we're, we're, we're reading this, and, and, and anyone who's a believer reads that. I know that my old self, the old man, what does that mean? It's not old in years. It's not like, whoa, 85 years old. It's not that. It, what it means is, old here means used up, worn out, useless. It's like when you go get your tires changed on your car, right? You throw those away. They charge you to do it. It's kind of weird, but they do. Charge you to throw away the, the trash. Um, it's like your clothes, they get worn out, and you're like, well, they're gone. They're, you know, unless you buy the ripped clothes. I, I did a brand new, I, I know. Um, but old in years, uh, no. You mean used up. Worn out, no longer useful. Your old self died with Christ, and the life you live now is a new God-given life. Christ lives in you. Because your old self was unregenerate. It was not born again. It was dead. There was, it wasn't part good and part bad. You might have thought it was. It was totally sinful. There was no potential in you to please God. You couldn't get yourself to God. But the new man the, the, new, the new self is regenerate. It's born again. It's made pleasing to God through Christ. Uh, the new nature is godly and righteous. It's not yet perfect. It's not yet glorified. But it is spiritually alive. God is at work in you as a believer. And the new man slowly grows in holiness. The new self. And sometimes, isn't it, you know, one step forward and two steps back? And sometimes in it, discouragement and you know, defeat, seemingly, almost. But the direction of your life, you wake up in the morning and you're like, I want to please you, Lord. I'm in Christ now. The direction of your life is Godward. That's the point. But it says here that the body of sin would be done away. What does that mean? We're talking about our old self, right? Body and flesh are, are referring here to, to a body of sin is not your body, it's your sinful tendencies, your sinful proneness, your sinful weaknesses, and Romans 8 talks a lot about that. There's so many things in, in uh, Romans, it's point to Romans 8. But your old self is dead here, but sin still lives on in your flesh with its evil, greedy desires. So in Christ, you have a new nature that is, that is still earthbound in the flesh. 
And flesh here in this verse is not your body, it's your evil desires. Um, bodies are to be used as instruments of godliness, and you're going to get to that in a little while here. But it says that the body of sin, the, the body of sin would be done away. What does that mean, done away? Just totally gone? It's kind of like the idea of uh, getting declawed, like you get your cat declawed, um, defanged maybe, uh, neutered, deactivated, rendered non-op. I was walking with my dog yesterday, and, and we, uh, well, two days in a row now, we walked past a flattened, dead rat. And, you know, it's got the, the, the front teeth that are really long and stuff, and literally, it's, the thing's dead, and I'm walking by going, I hope it can't jump and get me, you know? Uh, but here it's talking about being defanged, declawed, it can't hurt you anymore. But you're like, well, wait, 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 wait. In my life, sin is hurting me. How, how is this going on? And, and how has this happened? How, how does this even fit together? Look at verse 7. Okay, we're going to get there. One who has died has been set free from sin. And you're like, well, I'm not yet. <laughs> okay, due to your union with Christ, you are freed from sin. What does that mean? It means you are no longer under sin's tyrannical control. It means you don't have to follow uh, the remnants, the Klingons, the backwash sewer water of sin. It doesn't mean that you have to go in back into your old ways like you're still under its power. Christopher Ash wrote a book on, about Romans, a, a commentary, and I like some of the things he was saying about it. I'm going to kind of rephrase it a little bit, but here's what he said. He said, before you were joined to Christ, um, when you resisted sin, you were like a prisoner who escapes, tries to escape over the prison wall before the sentence is paid. Okay? And when the jailer, sin, catches up to you and tells you you're going back into prison, you have no, no choice but to go. You have to go. You're guilty. Penalty is not paid. But when the Christian resists sin, they're like a prisoner released to the prison gate after serving the sentence. You're free. So when the jailer chases you down and says, you have to go back, and, and you have to go back into the prison, you don't have to go. And here's what he said. I, I love this. The only power that sin has over the Christian is the power of bluff. Okay, trying to trick you, trying to make you think that it's one way when it's not, bluffing. Paul says if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And this doesn't mean that you'll just have life with him in heaven. Not only will you live in God's presence forever, but if you have died with Christ, you will live on earth characterized by Christ's presence and power. Jesus is with you. Jesus is strengthening you. Look at verse 9. He says it again. We know. I love this. This is the assurance. We know this. He's, like, he's saying to believers, we know this. Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. When did death have dominion over Jesus? When he was dead. He's not dead. He is alive. 
So there's no power to rule or reign over him. Death has no control over Jesus at all. Verse 10 says, the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. What does that mean? Jesus died to sin. He's sinless. He's the sinless sovereign savior. How did he die to sin? He died to sin in two ways. First, regarding sin's penalty. He met the legal demands. Second, regarding sin's power. He broke forever its power over those who belong to him. And he did it once for all. Do you notice that he died once for all? There's the substitution again, but it's no repeat needed. If you washed your hair this morning, you might have lathered, rinsed, and then what? What? Repeated. It's what I usually do. I don't think you need to, but you can do this, right? It's what it says to sell more shampoo. But there's no repeat needed to Christ's death for sin. The work is finished. And so believers died to sin in the same way. But the life he lives, he lives to God. How does Jesus live his life to God? Well, Jesus is God. So God the Son lives for his own glory. Jesus lives for God's glory. He is God. He is all about his own glory. He died to pay the penalty for sin once for all time once for all people and he lives to god for eternity which is also true of us you're a believer you're in christ forever you're safe and secure in him forever so that's why verse 11 says that that word consider or also could be translated reckon okay you also just like has just been said you also must Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're to reckon yourself this way. And so the first part about being united, that's something you know. But reckoning or considering, this is an ongoing thing that you're going to do. You're going to think about it. You're going to think about the truth. Reckon or consider means to count or to number something. It's like going over something, recounting. By the way, someone came up to me, a couple kids came up to me after first hour, and they said, Pastor Mike, you said sin 152 times in your sermon. <laughs> so, wow. And then they told me how many times I said Jesus and all this. I'm like, wow, you're paying attention. You're, you're reckoning, you're counting, you're considering. Count or number something. It means literally, here's what, what reckon means, here's what consider means. It means you have total, complete confidence in what you know is true, because it is true. Now, you could have total, complete confidence in something that isn't true, and you find out it's not true, and you get egg on your face, you get you know, embarrassed about it, and things like this. But here, you have total, complete confidence in what God says is true. So this isn't wishful thinking. This is telling yourself the truth. It's believing what God says is true, and acting on it by faith. It's walking by faith. It's living your new reality. It's living your new normal. That's what it means to be alive to God. It means you're in union with Christ. This isn't make-believe. This is objective truth. So you can believe it because it is objective truth. You align your thinking with that truth. And the reason why? I'll say it again. What God says is true, is true. 
God credits your sin to Christ and his righteousness to you. He has made a declaration on your behalf that you are dead to sin and alive to God. It's interesting when I, when I officiated a wedding, got a couple weddings coming up and it's like, I'm gonna say at the end of the wedding ceremony, now and by the power invested in me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and I, I declare that you are husband and wife. And it's wild, like they walked in, they weren't husband and wife. We made a declaration, now they're husband and wife. And it's actually illegal according to the, state, the laws of the state of California and according to the ordinances of God. And they walk out the door married, declared so in Christ, when you come to faith in Christ, it is an immediate, permanent, instantaneous declaration of your new status because of what God says and what God does. You've been regenerated. You're, you're going to now be transformed. And, and if you start seeing some transformation in your life, well, that gives you strong assurance that you've been justified and regenerated. It's not just praying a prayer. The new creation lives a new life. And it's cool when people recognize it and go, something's different about you now. Maybe it took them a few months. And when I was a brand new believer, I remember thinking, people aren't gonna believe this for a while until there's a pattern of change. You're alive to God. In Christ. Wow. You're not what you used to be. You're new in Christ. You have new desires. You have new allegiances. You have a new worldview. A new compass, a, a new commander, a, a new direction. You want to please God. You, you want to glorify God. You, you want to be God-centered. You want to be gospel-centered. You want to serve God's purposes. You want to read the word. You want to pray. You want to fellowship with other believers. You want to evangelize. You want to disciple others. And here you are with the same face and the same body and the same brain. God didn't just give you a nose job like on the outward. He changed you on the inside. You look the same, but you have a new motivation. It's like a car with a new engine. It's like a complete home remodel. It's like a brand new hard drive. The Bible tells you you have a new heart now. You have a new spirit. You have a new name. You're a new creation. Your identity has changed in Christ. And grace leads to change. Beforehand, you thought your sin was okay. That it was fine. And now you hate your sin. Now you hate it when you sin. Because the Spirit is now convicting you. And the Spirit is now sanctifying you. And, and you are literally swimming in God's supersized, superabundant, overflowing grace. You are in Christ. We talked about that last week a little bit. That being united with Christ means to be in Christ. It's Paul's favorite expression for union with Christ. Well, look with me at verse 11. Put your eyes on verse 11 for a moment. It says, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ in Christ Jesus. That is the first time in the book of Romans that you see the phrase in Christ. He died in your place. You're reckoned dead with him. The power of sin is broken. Sin doesn't rule over you anymore. You've been freed from the power and penalty of sin. You gotta put that into your fact management system and say, okay, this is the truth about me now. I'm gonna believe it. 
But we still have to deal with this question of, but then why do I constantly struggle with sin? Why the continual battle? Why am I not yet free of sin's presence? How can I experience victory in Christ that we yearn for? We know we are united with Christ. We, we know we are to consider that truth a lot and think about it all the time. But the third thing we see here in verses 12 through 14 is we are to present ourselves to God. And therein lies the key to this question of why do I still struggle with sin and how can I experience any victory? We are to present ourselves to God. This is about acting wisely in sanctification. It's a practical thing and it is imperative. This is something we need to do. So first we've been told that the power of sin has been broken by the cross. And now there's this appeal, a very strong appeal, to joyfully use the new freedom that was won for you at the cross for the glory of God. So you're united with Christ. You, you think about it often. You reckon. You consider. And now you are to present yourselves to God. You, you need to know it. You need to think about it. But then you need to act upon it. You must know it to be able then to do it. And here is about the doing. Look at verse 12. Notice how strong the, the actions are that are being called for. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. See that? The one place that sin can still reside. Your, your mind is a part of your body, by the way, and, and your soul gets tempted with sinful lusts. And since dominion in your life has been broken, but we're not talking about perfection here, we were slaves to sin. And now the tyranny of sin has been broken, and it no longer positionally rules over us, but it says here that we are not to let sin reign in us. What that means is that you are not to let sin get a foothold in your life. Look at verse 13. Do not present. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. There is a very strong imperative here, folks. Present, what does that mean? What does it mean to present yourself? What does it mean to present yourself? In fact, it's the same word. I'm going to flip over to Romans chapter 12. It's the same word in Romans 12 and verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Same word. But it says, do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. A very strong imperative, and present literally means a willful decision that you make where you resolve and decide to do something. Because before sin can have any power over the believer, it must pass through your will. You absolutely decide to do it. You cannot blame it on anyone else. You wanted to do it. It says your members. That's your members. It's not like, you know, your elbow, okay? And it's not like you have a club where there's members, okay? Um, your members is your thinking faculties, your, your emoting faculties, your willing faculties, it's the home office of your life, it's the headquarters, it's the command center of your heart from which sin does operate. And, and chapter 7 gets us all into that. 
It says, don't let your members be instruments of unrighteousness. Don't choose to let your members be destructive weapons against God's will and God's word. But present, same word, present yourselves to God. We're, we're supposed to present ourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and live your new reality, basically. Your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So you want to willfully decide to live 100% in Christ's strength and for his glory and that you want to take every idle thought and word captive to Christ. And then verse 14. Because sin will have no dominion over you. And an interesting thing. If sin couldn't control our life, this wouldn't have been said. Now, sin cannot auto-rule in your life. You just wake up one day and it's like, oh no, I'm sinning, but I didn't want to. No, you're sinning because you wanted to. And, and so sin has to be invited into your life. And, and what this is saying is don't allow it entrance. You're in Christ. You belong to Christ. You were under the power of sin, chapter 3, verse 9. Sin reigned in death, chapter 5, verse 21. But now it's been rendered powerless, verse 6 of chapter 6. So don't allow it to reign, verse 12. Don't allow it, literally, to be your master, to have dominion over you, verse 14. You know, before you were saved, there was nothing you could do. You couldn't help yourself. But a believer indwelt by the Spirit of God can say no to sin. Chapter 8 says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This passage is telling us the bully, the tyrant has been beat up and killed. Don't allow it to re-rule. So how can you be dead to sin if you still struggle with sin? Well, Romans 6 does not teach that sin is gone for you but that you have a new life through the death and resurrection of Christ. You are not sin-free, but you now hate it when you sin. And by the way, if you're sinning blatantly in your life right now and you're a believer, you must be miserable and, I, and I, my heart goes out to you. But if you're not miserable and you're sinning blatantly in your life and you're saying you're a believer, you may have been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, as scripture says. You don't even realize you're doing it anymore. And there's also the possibility that you aren't saved which is a frightening possibility. The most important things is what is being talked about here, life and death and eternity. You either love Jesus or you don't. Uh, there is either evidence of transformation or not. Uh, no transformation, probably no justification. Donald Gray Barnhouse put it this way, holiness starts where justification finishes. And if holiness does not start, we have no right to suspect that justification ever started either. And then the reminder, last phrase of verse 14. Look at it with me. Since you are not under law, but under grace. That's maybe the most misused verse ever. Used to excuse sinful behavior. Don't tell me what to do. I'm not under law, but under grace. That's an absolute trashing of that verse. You don't want to do that, right? What does that mean? It means... That God has not thrown away his moral requirements. Chapter 3, verse 31 says we uphold the law. The law is good, holy, and righteous. Chapter 7, verse 12. But it cannot be kept. It curses you. Law cannot help you keep God's standard. 
It corrects you. It condemns everyone. We cannot keep it. We are no longer under law. What does that mean? It means we are no longer under law as a condition of acceptance with God. There's an impossible standard you can't keep. It was given to show you you couldn't keep it. As Galatians says, it's a tutor to lead us to Christ, to show us our need for Christ. But it says you are under grace. What does that mean? It means now you're unable to actually fulfill God's standards by God's spirit and his power. You have one master now. You do not have to sin. You're no longer enslaved to sin. Sin is no longer your evil taskmaster. You now have a good master, Jesus. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You've been set free from sin's enslaving power. So the morning after Easter, I'm reading the news online, and a story catches my eye. Story that happened on Easter, on Easter Sunday, 4 p.m. or so in the afternoon, Uh, a 13-year-old boy named Jesse Hernandez fell 25 feet into a sewage pipe in L.A. over near Griffith Park. And he fell into a maze of toxic waste, and they were searching for him all night long. They feared him dead. But around 5 o'clock in the morning Monday, a rescue worker uh, removed a manhole cover on the freeway, on the 134 freeway, literally the big metal grate, lifted it up and looked down into the shaft, and there this kid is looking at them alive. Uh, They had this 13-hour race against time. This boy, Jesse, says, I was praying to God to help me and to not die. And a city sanitation manager uh, said he rose like Jesus. It's the Easter story. Come on, you know. <laughs> That's what he was quoted as in the paper. He rose like Jesus. I thought that was pretty cool. And then L.A. Fire Captain Eric Scott said this. Survivability diminishes in that toxic environment. Survivability diminishes in that toxic environment. And you might feel like that in your sin. Trapped in a sewer of sin. Wondering if you can survive. And you feel powerless and downcast and discouraged and defeated and you're hoping someone searches for you and rescues you and you need to know that Jesus saves but what can you do let's say you're in that let's say you're stuck and you don't want to be Jesse didn't want to be in there now think about this he's probably thinking I'm going to be in so much trouble right his parents are like we're so glad you're alive in Christ we have been set free from sin so that we can freely serve God. But something must die for you to freely serve God. And Paul talks about it being a death that you die daily to sin and self. You kill sin. I'll give you a few examples. How do you do that? First, you've got to yield yourself to God. You've got to surrender yourself to God. You know that every moment that you and I spend sinning, we are stealing from the service of the gospel, and God doesn't take that lightly? We've got to yield to God, and we've also got to fight with the true weapons of our warfare, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, prayer. You know how it goes. We all know how it goes. You really want something in your life, and you really want to do something. You really want to say something, and you know it is wrong, but you will find people to tell you that it's right, even Christians who will celebrate it and condone it. You've got to follow the Spirit's convicting presence to kill that sin in your life and defiantly evict the evil squatter. 
You've got to yield to God. You've got to fight with the true weapons of your warfare. And you've got to resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know what happens when you repeat a sin? It becomes a sin habit. You've got to lean on other people. You've got to get help. You've got to, don't ask those who condone sin or celebrate sin. Don't ask those who condemn you. Just go to those who will give you a biblical answer and encourage you to confess your sin and help you pull you up out of the sewer. And most importantly, you've got to look to Jesus. You've got to look to Christ. You're dead to sin. You're not sinless. You're not perfect. You're no longer under its power. Don't submit to it. You're now under the power of God's grace. And so to fight sin effectively, don't be thinking about sin all the time. Be thinking about Jesus all the time. It means to look to Jesus. Dwell on him. Dwell on his words. Do what pleases him. We are united in, with Christ. Instantly made permanently right with God and we're to think about that a lot. We're to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God as we're being sanctified. But then we must present ourselves to God. We must do this. This is something we need to hear every single day. This is an exhortation to not let sin reign in our lives. We need to think about this every day. That we, we, and here's how you do it. You offer everything to God. You're not gonna reach sinless perfection this side of heaven. And you cannot say, I will never sin again. But here's what you can say. I, I will to not sin right now. What you can say is, I do not have to sin right now. Right now I am free by the Spirit of God to choose not to sin. Before I was saved, I just made all these choices every day to do wrong, and I was the center of everything. But now in Christ, I have been set free from sin, so I can serve him freely. He is the center of my life. I can choose not to sin. I can freely offer myself to God in, in willful obedience. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you that we are able to be alive in you because of your doing and Lord, may our choices please you. And may we not try to do this in our own strength, but trust you and your power. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.